chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will run with a Bible to you. Ephesians chapter 1, we will be in verse 7 and 8. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. This is Paul writing by the Holy Spirit, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Let's pray. Lord, I love how this letter begins. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, you know us so well. You know that we need grace. You know that we need peace. You know that but for the grace we cannot have peace. Lord, but for understanding you, we don't understand you. There will be no peace. And Lord, we come here to learn about you. This is a love letter, love letter to us. Show us, Lord. Show us who you are. Show us who we are in Christ. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Make us vessels cleared of that gunk which inhibits the Holy Spirit from flowing through us and using us and inhibiting us from abounding in grace and in fruit and in you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. We are going to pick up where we... Uh, left off last week, again, when a person comes to, into a relationship with God, and please don't think that you come out of your mother's womb in a relationship with God. The Bible says you don't. When you come out of your mother's womb, you have a relationship with one person, yourself, me, myself, and I. But when, the, when, when you open the door of your heart and you ask Jesus to take over the throne of your heart, you begin a relationship with Him. First and foremost, God wants to talk with you, not about what to do, but about who you are. Okay, so if you've been with us, I hope you've sort of, you've got that down. That first and foremost, when you come into relationship with God, and really, when you talk with them every day, hopefully you're in the morning. It's my hope for you. It's, it's God's desire for you to 
begin the day with him. First and foremost, he doesn't want to talk with you about what to do, but rather about who you are. What to do will come later. What to do is very important, but not as important as you understand who you are once you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in, in this letter, this book, the Ephesians. It starts off with Paul not telling the Ephesians what to do, but telling them who we are. So we have uh, put this chart up, the Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm calling it part 1 here because part 2 is going to come. But in verse 1, they are told who they are. There's, Paul tells them, you are in Christ Jesus. And verse 3 says, you are blessed, present tense, with every spiritual blessing. You may not feel like it, but you are. Verse 4, you may feel like you're an accident, but you're not. You're chosen. Verse 4, second part of it, says you are holy and blameless before God when He sees you. You're without defect. You're undefiled. You're holy. You're blameless. You're without fault. Why? Because you have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's how God sees you. He doesn't see you in, in, sort of, uh, in all your sin anymore. He sees you as holy and blameless. Verse 5 says you're adopted as sons and daughters. Not to be confused with chapter 2, which says prior to Jesus Christ, you're sons of wrath. You're sons of God's anger. It's a scary picture we'll see in chapter 2. But once you receive the Lord Jesus in your life, you have been adopted as sons and daughters. Just as amazing, verse 6, you are the praise of His glory. All heaven looks at you and praises God because of you. It's, a, it's just an astonishing truth, but it is the truth. It's the Word of God. You are accepted in the Beloved, meaning the community of believers of God. You're accepted. You may have some people, church kind of people, religious people who don't accept you, but God accepts you in the Beloved. And so now I'm going to go to part uh, two of this list. And we sort of started uh, last week in verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption. So chapter 1, part 2, there's, there's a whole lot in this chapter about who you are. And, and, and we talked about this last week. The list continues. You are redeemed. You are redeemed. We left off with that last week. Verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. Redemption, again, in the year 2015. Not a word uh, that you hear used very much outside of religious church circles. However, as we discussed last week, <clears throat> the word was uh, commonly used in connection with the slave trade 
at, at the time this letter was written, there were millions of slaves, up to 30 or 40 percent of the population in the Roman Empire was, were slaves. And a slave could be redeemed, although in a different sense than what Paul is using it now. They could be freed for a price. The, the underlying Greek word for redeemed is the word lutros. It's, it, it, it means freed. Once a, a, the price was paid, the redemption was final. It was done. It was done. You were freed for the rest of your life. And so uh, the people he's using this word with now, this church in Ephesus, man, this, this word, redeem or redemption, it was just loaded with meaning because um, uh, it, it, it meant that they were freed. And, and so he's using the word here, um, redemption, recognizing that apart from Jesus Christ, Every man, every woman is a slave, is a slave to sin. Um, I put up some words of Jesus last week. Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Here's um, a verse from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 17. You are slaves to sin. As simple as that, Paul says in Romans chapter uh, 6. He's just telling the people, you are slaves to sin. And so what does it mean to be a slave to sin? It means sin owns you. It owns you. Sin tells you to go left, you go left. Sin tells you to go right, you go right. Sin uh, tells you uh, to jump in, you say how high. It owns you. That addiction, that lust, that compulsion, it owns you. But in Christ, you have redemption, he says here in uh, verse 7 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, meaning you've been freed from that. A life-changing verse for me was uh, uh, Romans uh, chapter 6, a little uh, later in the chapter. It says, we are no longer slaves of sin for anyone who has died with Christ has been freed from sin. You're no longer a slave. You've been, we have redemption, Paul is saying. After you put your faith in Christ, from that point on, to, until you die or to, until Jesus comes back for you. Again, God is first concerned not with telling you what to do, but to tell you who you are. You've been freed from slavery, the slavery of sin. Now, it's not unusual for a man or woman to come to faith in Christ, they open the door of their heart. They say, Jesus, come into my life. Come in. I've, I've had it living for myself. Come in. And, and, so, and, and they're saved. But, you know, but it, it, it takes a while for them to get to know who they now are, who their new identity is, that they're in Christ, that they are chosen, that they are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that they're holy and blameless before God. He sees them that way, that they're a son and daughter of God, that they, 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 they actually, um, th their life is a cause of praise in heaven, that they're accepted in the beloved, and that they're redeemed, that they're, they've been freed from slavery. It takes a while for them to know that, and so one of the things that can happen is because they don't know who they are, they remained enslaved. 
There was an area of sin in my life, sexual sin, private sin, sin behind closed doors, pornography, that I was utterly enslaved to three to four years after giving my life to Christ. Why? Because I didn't know who I was in Christ. Because I remember coming across Romans uh, chapter 6, the, the, the verse that we, uh, uh, we just put up there. In verse 6, it says, Know this, that your old man was crucified with Jesus, that your body of sin may be done away with, that you should no longer be slaves of sin. And I also read 1 Peter chapter 5, which says, Resist the devil, and he will flee. And there was just, I was freed. There was just a liberation. There was a deliverance. Because I got to know who I was. I finally, rec- I, I finally realized this is who I am. I'm not a slave to sin. I don't have to be. So liberating to me. Many of you have heard the story of American slaves. In January 1, 1863... The Emancipation Proclamation drafted by President Lincoln went into effect. Slavery was legally abolished. On April 9, 1865, the Civil War ended. That meant that not only was slavery legally abolished, but every state government, which was trying to sort of keep it around anyway, they were defeated. The problem was is that even though slavery was legally abolished and actually abolished, many men, women, and children remained for years living as if they were slaves because they did not know that they had been freed, really freed. Brothers and sisters, you got to find out who you are. You must do that. When you're called into a relationship with Jesus, he calls you into a relationship with his word, the word of God, let it be a friend to you, not the least reason of which is you got to find out who you are so you can be freed of that thing that I know still enslaves some of you in here who have given your life to Christ. But in Christ, verse 7 of Ephesians 1, we have redemption. We've been freed, freed from the slavery of sin. So that is where we left off last week. But I can't leave the subject of redemption just yet. Because believe it or not, there's even so much more to it. Because it not only involves just freedom from sin, it involves freedom from guilt. Those are two really different things. You can actually have freedom from sin, by the way, and still be in bondage to guilt. Guilt. Guilt will latch onto you and refuse to let go. It will follow you, you, you and, and you, you, know, you try to run away from it. You can't. You go to sleep with it. You wake up with it. You dream about it. It attaches itself to you, and it won't let go. And it robs you 
of joy and the power of God in your life because it's the joy of the Lord that is our power, is our strength. Guilt. I've more than once I've brought up these stories. I'll bring them up again. The first one in the, in, the, in the 1980s, there was a crisis in the California mental health system. The mental health hospitals uh, in the state were bursting at the seams. And the head of the mental health system was asked to comment on the crisis. And his response was, if only there was a pill that cured people of guilt, our hospitals would literally empty out. On the other side of the country, same time, 1980s, New York City, an artist by the name of Alan Bridge, of all people, an artist, <laughs> initiated this project he called the Apology Project, where he would just pass out these flyers. Actually, he put up these flyers on telephone poles and stuff. These things are all over the city these types of things where there's these little things, you rip out a telephone number, you put this telephone number, and you just call, and you confess your guilt to an answering machine. It wasn't even a person on the other side of the line, just an answering machine. And it was just wildly popular, this thing. People just calling, some of them sobbing, confessing theft, adultery, murder, so desperate to rid themselves of guilt that they made their confession to a lifeless answering machine. There is a universal hatred of guilt. There's a bumper sticker that you'll see from time to time. This says, screw guilt. Screw guilt. It's basically people putting the middle finger to guilt. And it's so fallen and so that the world hates guilt so much uh, that that's what it does. Screw guilt. Uh, You know, uh, the world tries to, to kill it, murder it, assassinate it. They try to defy it, but you can't kill guilt. It's like the hydra in Greek mythology. You cut off uh, uh, one head and two uglier heads come up in its place. That's what guilt is like. Why? Because guilt is an alarm system which God himself has placed in every human being in order to drive them to him. Romans chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Romans chapter 2. It says the law is written in their hearts, speaking here just of all humankind, including you, including me. Their conscience also bears witness. Their thoughts accuse them or else excuses them. That's, that's referring to guilt. Now, while it's certainly true that guilt can be used of the devil, that's another sermon for another day, guilt is actually a sacred thing. That means flipping your finger, middle finger to it. That, that, that is, that's a wicked thing to do.
because it's a sacred thing. It sounds an alarm. You, me, we, the human race, we're not designed for sin. We were not designed to be fighting against God's will for our life. We were not designed to live a life contrary to, to God's word. Guilt is the alarm bell, an alarm system that was placed within us to drive us back to God. So much that does he love us. That he, he wired us in that way. And listen... Listen to me, brothers and sisters, there's only one way that you, we, or anyone in the world has ever been freed from guilt, and that is to go to the one who installed the alarm system. Verse, verse 7 again, Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So guilt is taken away, and it's taken away really in, 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 in two ways or from two vantage points. Number one, guilt is taken away in the eyes of God. A man or woman who has rejected the finished work of Jesus Christ who has rejected the suffering, the death, the resurrection of Christ, which was all done to put away their sin, when a man or woman has rejected that, in the eyes of God, from God's vantage point, there's a guilty sign over their head. Guilty. And they are. They are. You are. That is, if you have broken God's law, and the Bible says you've broken the law of God a thousand different times in a thousand different ways, but you continue in your rejection of the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God on your behalf, agonized on the cross, died for your sins, your guilt remains, and there's a guilty sign over your head right now that is visible to Almighty God, that just hangs over your head. Guilty. But in Christ, verse 7 says, in Christ, in Him, you, me, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So no longer from God's vantage point is there a sign that says guilty. There is now a sign that says redeemed. So the guilt is taken away from God's vantage point in the eyes of God, but it is also taken away, really, we ourselves are freed from the condemnation, the burden, the dogging of sin, the, rather of guilt, the guilt chasing us around wherever we go, the guilt that goes to bed with us and wakes up with us. We are freed from it as we put our faith in the blood of Christ, blood of Christ just means the life of Christ, and by faith we, we just, we, we accept this promise in verse 7 that we've been freed. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says this, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So, so what happens is that when you receive the Lord, 
Um, you receive the, uh, also the Holy Spirit, and as you just accept who you are in Christ, what, that, that God uh, now sees you guiltless, pure, holy, blameless before him, your conscience is cleansed. It's a supernatural work of God. Listen, there are things from my life uh, before Christ that there's no way that in and of myself I, can, I could get away from that guilt. But, but God cleanses my conscience. Cleanses my conscience. It says from dead works to serve the living God. What does that mean? Well, that's just one of the reactions to our guilt is we just go to try out there, go out there and do these, what the Bible calls dead works to try to make ourselves feel less guilty. We try to do that. You know, if, if we led a life, whatever, of, of, of stealing, and, and it really begins to, to, to it really begins to, um, to hound us, the guilt begins to hound us, you know, we, we give a life, we start giving to people who, who don't deserve it, who never even asked of anything, in order to cleanse our conscience. That's not the way, not the motive that we're supposed to have. That's a, the Bible calls that a dead work. Are we supposed to be giving liberally? Of course we are, but for a completely different reason. We're supposed to be giving liberally, giving freely of, of, of what we have because we're so thankful that we have been cleansed, our conscience has been cleansed, and that the, through the blood of Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the guilt is taken away, not only in the eyes of God, but really uh, in, our own, um, in our own lives. It, 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 the burden of it is taken away. Listen, if you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, but you're continuing to allow guilt to drag you down. No matter how long and hard and awful that life of sin has been, you're allowing Satan to rip you off. If you are in Christ, listen, there's own, there's, there is a sin no matter what your sin has been. The lust, robbery, stealing, murder, whatever your sin has been, there is a, one sin that is worse than any sin you've ever committed, and the Bible says that is the sin of not believing that Jesus Christ's death on the cross took away that sin and freed you from the guilt that has resulted from that sin. That's the word, the Bible says that is the most wicked sin that a man or woman or child can commit. Not believing that what happened on the cross took away your sin. That's the greater sin, brothers and sisters. And so listen, this may sound strange, but if you are living in guilt today, and you are in Christ, you need to repent. 
you need to repent. You need to confess your sin of unbelief, your rejection of what Jesus did for you. He went, um, what he went through on the cross so that you would be freed from your guilt. You need to repent of rejecting what Jesus did for you and you need to embrace it and you need to let the guilt go. It was all put on Jesus on the cross, all that guilt. And what he suffered, he suffered for you. Don't add to what Jesus did. Don't, so if you continue to suffer because of your guilt, you're just adding to the perfect work of cross. It's like taking up a handful of mud and throwing it at the Mona Lisa or some other famous piece of artwork. You don't want to do that. But that's what you're doing when you hold on to the guilt. And so let's put up the chart again. Ephesians chapter 1, part 2. Who are you? You are redeemed. You've been freed from the slavery of sin and you have been freed from guilt in the eyes of God and also in the burden of your own soul. Number two, it says, you are abounding in the riches of His grace. Who are you? Right now, present tense, it says you are abounding in the riches of His grace. Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Let's uh, read it together. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, there it is, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and in prudence. That word prudence, it means understanding. So who are you? You are redeemed. But next it, there, it says you, you are, present tense, you are abounding in the riches of His grace. Now I've asked this question a thousand times over the years. What is grace? Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is getting a reward when you deserve a punishment. When you deserve a punishment, grace is, instead of getting the punishment, you get the reward that Jesus earned as a result of his faithfulness and his obedience to God the Father. Sounds deeply theological. If you do, totally don't get it, that's okay, but believe me, it's good. Grace, getting what you don't deserve, getting a reward instead of a punishment. That's what God does with you. But listen, grace comes in a thousand different packages, large and small. This word here, uh, this verse here in verse 8, it says, it says, he has made these graces, the riches of his grace, to abound toward us, towards you, in all wisdom and understanding. Listen. Only God knows you. God knows you a whole lot more than you know you. 
And listen, you have hidden places in your heart, in your life. Some of them you had known nothing about, but they need healing. There must be healing in those places. And there's only one medicine in the world that will bring the healing. It's a very rare medicine, and only God knows about the medicine cabinet and which medicine to pull down, which grace to pull down and apply to that, that, that place in your life, that corner in your life, that, that whatever, that dark place in your life that you may know nothing about, but it needs healing. You ever wake up one day and like, there's something wrong with me, but I have no clue what it is. God knows what it is. And he knows what medicine to apply. He, this is it's so important, you understand who you are. He makes the riches of his grace, verse 8, read with me, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. You have a surgeon, a doctor, who knows every jot and tittle of your soul. Every single hidden part, exposed part, he knows. It says, with all wisdom and prudence and understanding, meaning he gets it. Listen, please listen to me. If you are trying to figure yourself out in your own strength, if you're trying to figure yourself out just on your own, you're trying to diagnose all thousand of those issues in your life, you're trying to manufacture a remedy for the issues, and you're trying to uh, figure out what that, what that medicine is, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. The human soul, the human life in all its fallenness is Way too complex and complicated for you to figure it out. But let me tell you, it's not complicated to God. He understands you. He gets it. Down to the smallest whatever, atom, proton, electron, or whatever in your life. He gets it. And he knows what grace to apply. Here's a proverb that I, uh, I love. Someone just quoted this to me a couple days ago. Thank you, whoever you were. I think it was someone in this room. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Have you ever been just, whatever, discouraged or depressed, and someone just comes along, and they say something, and it's like, boom. It's like all of a sudden you're refreshed, you're encouraged, and you're built up. Well, let me tell you, supremely, this verse is not talking about human beings coming to you with a word fitly spoken. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about grace. It's talking about Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 8, which talk about the riches of his grace abound in you in all wisdom and understanding. That God knows it. God knows how to, to speak a word fitly to you that perfectly narrowly tailored word which is exactly what you need to hear it's like apples of gold in a setting of silver the god's riches abounding in you that's who you are let's put up the chart one more time you are redeemed <laughs> 
and you are abounding in the riches of his grace. Just want to close the service now and ask the worship team come up to come up. And if you've been asked to to pray, I'd like you to come up. Let me close with just saying this. It wasn't until I was 22 years old that I responded to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus knocks on the door of your heart. If you open up, he'll come in. What will he do? It says he'll dine with you. He'll fellowship with you. He'll have a relationship with you. But he will get up and he will take his place as the king of your life, the king of your heart. He'll sit on the throne of your heart. I wasn't, I was, it wasn't until I was 22 till I did that. Up until that time, there was a guilty sign above my head. When God lit, looked at me, there was a guilty sign. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never done that, you've never said, okay, yeah, I've gone to church, I've gone to church a thousand times, but I know, and certainly God knows, I've never let Jesus come in and be the king of my heart. Believing what he did for me on the cross and that he rose from the dead. If you've never done that, come up and talk to me. We're going to have a closing worship song now. And I know there's I don't know how many people, there's a lot of people in this room and you're thinking, really, go up there? The Bible says that when God calls you, he calls you publicly. And everyone in here who's ever come to Christ in one form or fashion has made it public. Just make it public and come and talk to me. And with a simple prayer of faith, faith you can ask Jesus into your heart. Or, um, man, if, if you've been trying to figure yourself out, whether the issue is guilt or whatever the issue may be. Again, there's a thousand different things we try to figure ourselves out. And you just want the Spirit of God to come in and speak a word to you, a word fitly spoken. In other words, God, please, figure me out for me and give me that perfect medicine, that grace. Come up as the worship team begins. Or if you'd like to pray about anything else, you can come up. Why don't you stand? I'll close in prayer and we'll close with